while you're looking, I want this prayer. I beg this prayer to be on your lips and in your heart. God, show me what I need to see today. Show me what I need to see today. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. <laughs> And after these things he went forth and he saw a publican named Levi sitting in the receipt of custom and he said unto him, follow me. Now who is Levi? Matthew. And what was the whole idea of being a publican and sitting at the receipt of custom? What, what did he do? Tax collector. And what we know from history is that he was probably very corrupt, as many were. But he, Jesus said to him, this publican, this tax man, this cheat, this hedge fund, Ponzi scheme, money man, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When Jesus of Nazareth began his ministry, he shook up the establishment like no one before him or sins. The Lord boldly stood against the powers that be, whose main goal in life was to maintain the status quo. To protect their own holdings. For you see, Jesus loving and ultimately saving the dregs of society was more important than worrying about what people might think. I look back at my own life and early ministry. And along the way, truly makes me ashamed at how sometimes I valued the approval of my peers, church members, and others over the command of Jesus Christ to take the gospel who needs it. There were times when I simply worried too much about what other people thought about me. And we all do this from time to time. When I read this scripture again, I could, find, I could only think of one word to describe Jesus' ministry. Culture shock. It's a culture shock. Just like the first meal I had in Jamaica. Now, I love Jamaican food, but the first meal I wasn't real crazy about. I've always liked to hunt and fish and clean them, do all that stuff. 
But the lady that I was staying with, she said, I'm going to get us some fresh fish. And we, I mean, we were right on the water, Discovery Bay, a little fishing village. And she walked over, and as the boats come in, she bought the fish, brought them back, cooked them. And I was studying and just enjoying life in Jamaica. The breeze is blowing in. And she said, please come, and we'll dine. And I went and sat down at the table. There in the middle was the plate, and there was a, a napkin laid across the food. And she whipped it back, and it was all staring at me. And all the heads were still on the fish. That don't bother me anymore. That kind of freaked me out back then. I was just a country boy from the south in Georgia. And we cut the heads off the bread and bass when we cooked them. They didn't cut the heads off. It freaked me out. But you see, I'm not referring to a cultural shock for the pagan world, but for the religious world. Jesus upset their apple cart made them uncomfortable with his non-stop barrage of sermons, parables, and acts of mercy which displayed his love for the unlovable elements of society. If you'll remember, one time Jesus got pretty torn up, didn't he? Got mad. Am I right? Your Bible like mine? Jesus got aggravated with a spiritual righteous indignation because they were doing the exact same thing Levi was doing. They were profiting off of exchanging money and selling the sacrifices outside the temple. Worship was not about them, uh, about the Lord. It was about them making a profit. It was about their comfort. But notice, they didn't really get tore up at Jesus over that as much as when he would... Raise the dead. Or he would heal on the Sabbath. It was the things that Jesus was displaying, his mercy and his grace, that bothered the religious world the most. Church, I don't know how much you watch the news. But we have been shaken to the foundation. Now I still believe without a shadow of a doubt. God's word in Matthew 16, 18, he said that upon this rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We don't act like that anymore. We act like anything can prevail against us. That we're ready to fold up shop and change. I'm telling you, what we need is some upset apple carts. When it came to reaching the lost with the gospel, Jesus crossed all boundaries, surpassed previous, previously imposed limitations. For example, Jesus was willing to touch lepers. Now, what was that all? Number one, the law said no. He fulfills the law. So did he break the law? No, because in his deity as God, he was over that. And he was able to heal them and to cleanse them. But oh, he went into places that you and I would get drawn up about. I don't know if you realize this or not. We didn't say a whole lot. 
But there were people who got tore up with us about having Uganda Thunder here in January over fears of Ebola. There were people, all oh, them little kids come, all oh, we want them little kids come to school, they may have Ebola. I'm telling you, it is time we get out of our comfort zone and rock our world with Jesus. He went to lepers. He healed on the Sabbath. He allowed women to wash his feet with their hair. He met socially with the vilest segment of society. If you saw me in some place with the vilest, crudest, most wicked people in Claxton, there's no telling what would be said by the time we got back to your wings. That's the truth. And I think unless God leaves, there's some places I have no business to be. But now, let's remember, I am Jesus. He's Jesus. But there are things that we ought to be willing to do. He reached out to Gentiles. He spoke alone with a scandalous half-breed woman at the well. He even healed slaves. The Lord crossed about every social barrier imaginable and broke every taboo in the book. He was a shock to the sensible culture of polite, religious life. So why is a culture shock needed? Why do we need this? I don't know about you, but I get the rut sometimes. It felt weird not leaving for church with my family this or actually before my family. And I was just trying to get feeling a little bit better, number one. But number two, praying I just didn't be able to make it. Chad's off preaching. There's three ladies that specifically prayed for me by name this morning. Didn't even, except for my wife being one of them, the other two didn't even fully realize the situation. God led them to be encouraging and to strengthen this sick preacher. Jesus said that his church was going to withstand all the fiery darts of Satan. His church will weather every storm, but that doesn't mean that from time to time some tables don't have to be overturned in the process. Once in a while, there needs to be a wild boar in the vineyard to bring about the cultural change that keeps God's church on target. You know who the wild boar in the vineyard was? It's what the Pope of Rome named Martin Luther in 1520. He said, there's a wild boar loose in our vineyard. And today we sit in a Baptist church and right down the road there are Methodist churches and down the road there's Presbyterian churches and others who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And it goes back to a wild boar that brought about a cultural shock. He didn't just bring shock, he brought the awe to him. They tried to kill him, they plotted, they brought him in, they judged him, they sentenced him, but God protected him and God used him in a way few are used. Church, we've got to be the wild boar sometimes. You know what I really Enjoy seeing somebody that's so happy in Jesus, they don't give a flip what other people think. They'll raise their hand in the deadest church because Jesus 
Savior. They're willing to tell anybody at any time who Jesus is. You see, George Barna, that famous pollster, did a poll of the top three reasons why churches are not winning people to Christ. Number one, there's too little evangelistic. What do you think? What do you think? Too little evangelistic what? What's the least glamorous thing that we ought to be doing but the most powerful? Prayer. We're not praying for the lost anymore, church. Sad thing is, most of us don't even know we lost people. We have isolated ourselves from anybody and anything that resembles the world. And I'll get to crossing those barriers in a minute. But we are not praying. Romans 10, 1, Paul said, My prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. That was his prayer. That they would be delivered. Are you praying for, you know, we say this, pray for my friend, pray for this one, pray. But it was, it's like automatically if we say pray for them, that God somehow automatically does it. But to get up out of our pew and walk down here and kneel before the Lord and call their name out before God. <coughs> Put your hand on somebody and pray over them. To join together and say, will you pray with me for my lost loved one? Will you pray, for, pray with me for my lost friend? I can remember growing up, man, we wasn't worried all this. See, political correctness in the church. We say we're not. But when I was growing up, son, they would, I'd hear people in praying Praying for their lost drunkard husband. I mean, saying those words loud in the pulpit. I mean, in the altar. Not to be arrogant, not to be puffed up. No, because they were so broken, they were crying out with the very base being of who they are that they knew only God could save them. Why do we not do that anymore? I say we've got to do everything the way we did 30, 40 years ago, but I am saying that God has called us to intercessory prayer, and it's not just for people who have cancer. I'm going to tell you, there's a cancer in this world that's called sin. That's what's destroying our world. That's where the other cancer comes from. That's where all the diseases and the viruses and all the wickedness and all the hatred and the wars, all of it, come back to sin. And we need to pray that there would be a revival Revival in our hearts. Church, we need to pray for the lost. People who have been praying evangelistically will not oppose evangelism. Only those people who do not pray for salvation of the lost will again, uh, will be against reaching out to those condemned by sin. So I just don't believe that's my job. Get over it. Get in touch with what God's Word said. Because He said the Great Commission is for all of us. It's not the great consideration. It's the great command. It's the Great Commission. One, 
great commission and it's to all believers that when we receive power we ought to go to the world preaching and teaching in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit baptizing them in that same name. We ought to be winning people to Christ. The only way we can do it is to get on our face and pray. There's too few people involved in evangelism. We know the stats. 11,000 SBC churches out of roughly 42,000 win zero people to Jesus. Only 5% of born-again believers actively share their faith with unbelievers. I don't know about you, but that's just incredibly sad to me. Are you part of 5%? Have you ever led anybody to the Lord? Have you ever said, let me tell you what Jesus did for me? That's what Paul did. When they asked Peter, Peter just went back to the Old Testament, read all that story, and then said, and this is what Jesus did for me. When those that worshiped to an unknown God stood there on Mars Hill, Paul said, let me declare unto you who he is. And he preached Jesus. Church, don't try to overcomplicate it. Just be involved. It will take more than a sermon from this poor, sick, stammering tongue to change that trend. It's going to take a Christian culture shock. There's some things I can do as a pastor. I can train, I can instruct, I can equip you to confidently share your faith. And I can provide opportunities for you to build relationships with those in the community. But you've got to be willing to take that step. And here's where we're not doing it. We have failed to build bridges. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I've become all things to all men that by all means some might be saved. We need to be like Jesus. Everyone would agree with that statement, right? Don't we teach our children to be like Jesus? To love like Jesus? To act like Jesus? Isn't that why they were first called Christians? Because they resembled Christ in their attitudes and the way they conducted business and the way they lived? Well, Jesus built bridges to the lost and developed relationships with people that most people shun. Building bridges with Non-believers is simply a way to form and deepen a relationship so that spiritual conversations can take place. Why didn't Jesus just preach in the temple and synagogues? Why not just stay in Jerusalem and never leave that magnificent religious edifice? Why did he go to the leper colonies? Why did he attend meals at homes of unbelievers and feed people on mountainsides? Jesus took his message on the road and we built bridges that would allow him to have an audience with people that otherwise would never have the opportunity to hear the life-changing message. There are people in your realm of influence I can't reach. Michelle can't reach. Your Sunday school teacher can't reach. Only you can. Your family is your family. Mine's mine. We better get busy. Because I'm going to tell you, there's nothing sadder than to go to the funeral home 
and the living ones are not so sad that the person died as guilty that they didn't do everything they could have done to share the love of Jesus Christ. Don't let another day slip by without a culture shock in your world. Build bridges. We're not being asked to stop having traditional church. We are being asked to extend our boundaries beyond these four walls. Those of you who have ever prayed the prayer of Jabez, to have your boundaries enlarged, you're about to have your prayers answered. And you're willing to seek the Lord to tell other people about Jesus. So these are some of the things that are wrong, but here are three things that I want to give you quickly that need to be addressed before it can happen. First of all, we have wrong focus. First Timothy 4 said the religious crowd with their legalisms and all their other things was saying, you need to do it this way, you need to do it that way. And it was their own set of rules. Rather than trying to introduce and indoctrinate people to a religious system, we need to be introducing them to the living Lord. Amen. I don't know about you, but the Baptist faith didn't change my life. Jesus did. Being a pastor came much later. People look at pastors sometimes and they think we were just born pastors. We never busted our brothers in the mouth. Always justified. That we never disrespected. Always obeyed. You know... Always look a certain way. I love it when people see me on one of my usual days where I've got a pair of blue jeans during the summer. I've got a pair of cargo shorts on and a t-shirt and a hat. And they don't know me from Adam. When we get talking, I, some come up, somebody else will come up and say, hey, pastor, or something like that. They say, you're a pastor? Yeah. They say, well, you don't look like a pastor. And this is my answer. What exactly does a pastor look like? And, oh, 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 you know, uh, and it's, the, it's the picture my granddaddy thought. Button-down collar, short sleeves, and slacks when you cut the grass. I'm serious. My granddaddy had a fit about me wearing shorts and a t-shirt after I started preaching. Y'all don't be dressed like that anymore. So, boy, when you were preaching now, and... I love my granddaddy, but I wore my shorts and t-shirts. Because sometimes we have the wrong focus. You see, we're used to catch the fish. It's the Lord's job to clean them. He didn't call us to clean people up. Fix them up, repair them, and then bring them to church. We fight the wrong battles. For example, the church of the Middle Ages fought vehemently to keep the written word in Latin. They didn't want any changing. It was a dying language that the common man could not read or understand. The city they were able to hold control over. The church was fighting the wrong battles. There was a time in the Southern Baptist Convention that we fought over Sunday school. We said Sunday school is of the devil. Believe it or not, greatest evangelistic tool besides vacation Bible school. When it was first introduced at the convention, the man who stood to the podium to announce it, they had to sneak out a side window because the mobs made death threats to him. 
if they were trying to usurp the authority and preaching of the pastor. You see, our fight is against Satan. When we fight our own battles, everybody loses. It took a culture shock to bring the Middle Ages back to an evangelistic passion. You know, there's a reason why they call it the Dark Ages. Because there were no evangelistic fervor anywhere you look. I'm afraid the world resembles that today. We may not have the Goths and the Visigoths and the Huns and all the barbarians. We may not have the sires and the knights and all the things of the, those ages, but when you look over the scope of the church today, we're hidden, we're quiet. We're told to get out of the limelight. We're told not to be part of the process, to stay out of politics. And the ones who have have capitulated. Church, one thing that we've done is we have a loss of love. It boggled my mind to hear the church love people again. What, what was the problem with the church at Ephesus? Lost the first love. Church, remember when you were more on fire for Jesus? Remember when you wanted to tell everybody about Jesus? Remember when you couldn't wait for vacation Bible school? You remember when you would do anything at church because you loved serving the Lord. And now you're too old or too tired or too this or too that. It's somebody else's responsibility, somebody else's job, somebody, and it's always somebody else. But who's going to tell the people in your influence? Who's, nobody can do what God's called you to do. Amen. I can't do it. Do you know we have almost a thousand people on the roll at Eastside Baptist Church? Where they at? They have no excitement for Jesus. Because I'm going to ask you. If the same evangelistic, God-honoring, Jesus-loving faith that's getting people to church is the same that's going to get them to heaven. It makes you wonder if they're going to get there. Do you get excited about getting up to Sunday Oh, it's Monday to sleep late. Good grief! You don't have to get up and go to work. You get to sleep late. 9.15? I don't know too many people besides me that goes to work at that time. I work later too. You're up going to work, going to school at 7 o'clock. You get to sleep late. And then you get to come in, sit down, and breakfast, casseroles, and donuts. And, and they didn't have all that beer because you ate at home when I was growing up. There wasn't no coffee. There wasn't nothing unless you went to Brotherhood. And it was about 4 o'clock in the morning, I promise. I think those men, all they want to do is get up, have breakfast cooked. And my dad dragged me to Brotherhood. But I remember every time we went. Because those men love Jesus. 
It's only when we love Jesus passionately will we have the desire to reach out and effectively love others that are hurting around us. So what will a culture shock bring? Well, it starts by the way we change our thinking about evangelism. First of all, we need to go from watching to worshiping. I'm saddened by the way Christians treat worship today. We have changed it from a verb into a noun. Worship has become something we watch from the sidelines. That was just what the pre-Reformation church was like. The clergy did the worshiping and the laity did the watching. It was not until that wild boar Martin Luther brought up a culture shock and a subsequent worldwide, a worldwide revival. More like a revolution. I don't think it bothers the watcher to miss a Sunday or two or lay out a Sunday school or skip small groups. But a worshiper, a worshiper looks forward to the opportunity to go and worship the risen King. We need to move from maintenance to ministry. Israel, God called them. God blessed them. God used them. But they maintained. They became inward. Listen, when we become fat and happy with ourselves, just what the church has done, we've had our glory days, and for some of us, we think they're past. Well, personally, I think God's still on His throne. How about you? I think there can still be a great revival. I believe God can still do great things. He did it in Nineveh. He did it in the New England states. Did you see the graphic that was run all over the news this past week of the places that had the most religious liberty and the people who attended worship more in all the states around the United States? Did you see any of that? You saw that? Alabama is number one, or Florida, I believe it's Alabama. But it's still the Bible Belt. Georgia's top five, I believe. It was Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee, Georgia, Texas, Arkansas. Look, if God can save a Razorback, he can save anything. <laughs> but you know the thing that struck me out of all of that? You know where the Great Awakening happened? New England. Jonathan Edwards preached centers in the hands of the name of God. Preached at college students, Yale, Harvard, and all those Ivy League schools. They were Bible-based, basically seminaries when they were built. And now they're the most heretical, unchurched area in the United States of America. In a matter of just a few generations, what will we look like if we don't have a little culture shock in our lives. We need to go from maintenance to ministry. In our country, sacrifice is no longer valued. JFK, in those famous words in his speech, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's completely and utterly changed. We vote our pocketbook. We've got the fat and happy and turn inward. The civil rights movement. I, I've never read anything that I disagree in the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King. He wanted equal treatment under the law. 
He was a great leader and even helped bring about the end to a very terrible and, may I add, unchristian-like treatment of people whose only crime was to be born with more pigmentation in their skin. However, the civil rights movement today has become fat and happy, preferential in their treatment, and are now turning in word again. They no longer look for equal treatment under the law, but now it's special treatment that some desire. It's all about my rights. And they've become fat and happy and turned inward. Well, the church. We no longer resemble the people of the early days who gave their lives for the gospel, not to mention 10% of their income or more. Do you know what the average faithful giver of the local church gives now? 2.5%. I know, this rocks your world when I talk about money. And if you're grumbling right now because I'm talking about money, I bet you money you're a thief and you're a robber in the sight of God. You are a thief. People say, I hate a thief. Ain't nothing I hate worse than a liar and a thief. Well, you're a liar and a thief. Because you present yourself as a godly Christian and you wad up $21 bills, a $5 bill when God has blessed you with thousands of dollars and you're going to give him a little tip? I got news for you. I don't want your money. That's right. Peter told Simeon, you and your money perish with it. Right. You can't buy God. Well, what you can do is be obedient and God bless you. God's word says tithing. If you're not tithing, you're a thief. And you know what you're stealing from? Stealing from yourself. You're robbing yourself. You see, they gave it all. But oh, how we become fat and happy. We don't spend money on this. Look down our budget sometimes and we look. And we look at this budget, we look at that item, and when we're spending three times the amount on utilities that we do on missions or on evangelism at home, then our budget's upside down. We've got the fat and happy. This is what I mean by the term maintenance. It describes an attitude of focusing on one's own comfort, benefit. And when a church builds up walls around itself and only lets down the gate for people of the same race, income, affluences themselves, then you have a church that has no concept of what a church is all about. That's right, man. Show me a church that only budgets for itself, only prays for itself, and only has programs for itself. And I'll show you a church that's going to implode. And what they don't realize is they're dead. They don't even know it. Double dead. Double dead. Twice dead, the Bible says. And Jesus said, if you're just full of leaves, there's no fruit. All you're good for is to be plucked up and thrown into the fire. Church, we can't just maintain. What do good Samaritans do? We love to teach our kids about that, but do we do it? Do we do it? I saw on a news clip this morning where a, a teenager had been in a wreck, vehicle was on fire, and stranger stopped and pulled him out to safety, and he's recovered with minor injuries because somebody cared. They were not first responders. These were people who just run up on the scene. They said, that boy needs help. You won't buy somebody in need and say, you know what? They need help, but that's what we got the Ministerial Association for. 
That's what Joellen and Pastor does in our benevolent committee. We'll just send them over there. We'll just do this. Look, the good Samaritan didn't pawn it off on anybody else. He did it. You've got a job to do. Who is it right now in your circle of influence you can reach out to be the hands and feet of Jesus? We need to go from entertainment to evangelism. I don't have any problem with good singing. In fact, I pretty much require it. I love a good Easter cantata or Christmas musical. I love to hear the instruments. But I've got news for you. I love a good sermon. I know it's hard to believe sometimes, but I do. These guys that play these guitars and girls and guys that play the drums and sing, play the piano, do the choir. We had a great time at Christmas. David's died. It's a lot of fun. Somebody asked me the other day, said, you shaved! I said, shit, two months ago. <laughs> really knows. But here's the deal. Did all you see that the preacher grew his goatee out? That we had camouflage on? Or did you hear that God had prepared for us a Savior that had came down from generation after generation? That the prophets had told us there's going to be a Jesus. That the Bible tells us that there's a Jesus. And that he is our Lord and Savior today, the Son of David. All of that is well and good, but we're not up here to entertain you. We're just not. It's not my job to equip you <coughs> in all the things that the Holy, only the Holy Spirit can do. But I am equipped. To feed you with the word of God. It's my job to pray for you. Preach the word. But nowhere in my biblical mandate. Am I required to entertain you. We come into church to worship. And go out prepared to evangelize. It should be that simple. If we could just bring. About a culture. Shock. Within our community of believers. We could see those 11,000 churches. Fill the baptistries again. We could see 95% of believers start to lead someone to Jesus. But what will culture shock cost you? It'll cost you money. Church, there's no reason why we still don't have that loan paid off. Let's get that yoke off our back. Let's move forward. We don't need a fancy campaign just to open our wallets, write some checks. And by the end of March, have it done. Let's just do it. Let's try God and see that He'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing we can't contain. Sure, it'll cost money and time and other tangibles, but I feel that I must reveal the real cost of reaching out to the unlovable and the lost and the dregs of society. It's not always fun. For you see, the Christian, it might cost you your reputation. They might not think as much about you down at the club anymore. It might mean that you'll be misunderstood. They don't know why you don't go to their little hangouts and their little, their little parties anymore. They don't understand. 
But your spirit guards you and says, that's not the place for me to be. Now, once again, let's back up to the start of the service. You say, well, you just told me I need to be around lost people. Yes, we need to be in the world. We just don't need to be other. So you've got to be in the spirit, not in the flesh, praying, and God will set the guidelines. I can't set them for you. I can't tell you where to go and where not to go. The only job that I have to do that is for my two young ones. You see, people will misunderstand this. They'll misquote you. Can you believe that? That's hard for me to believe. Dwight L. Moody got a note one time, folded a piece of paper. And I've gotten, gotten these notes before. This note was laying up there and he opened it. And looked at it for just a moment. And said, well, someone finally signed one of these things. Every, every one I've ever gotten was anonymous. But this one was signed and the person close said, well, who signed it? And he held it up. And it said, fool. <laughs> That's all it said was fool. They meant to call him a fool. He just said, well, whoever wrote this one signed it. You may be misquoted. It might mean that you'll be scandalized and defamed. Everybody that's accused of stuff is not guilty. But we sure do like to hit it on Facebook, don't we? And here's the way a Christian does it. I don't mean the gospel. Do you know what happened? So I can pray. I, 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 no. That's the way a Christian's gospel. Just as a matter of prayer, it tickles me when somebody will just post up there, prayers needed. And I click on those comments because what they're doing is, what's going on? What does it matter? They ask you to pray, pray. You don't even know what's going on. We want to know the juicy parts of it. <coughs> Listen, it will cost you comfort. It'll get you out of your comfort zone. Some of you need to be in this choir. Right now, we usually run about 22, 15 to 22. But if I'm not mistaken, we could probably add about two or three chairs right here. You say, there's not enough room. Yeah, we got room. We'll put a whole row right here. You say, well, I haven't sung in a long time. I'd be all right. We'll work with you. Well, I don't like some of the songs. Well, come be a part and even say something about it. <laughs> kind of like vote. You don't vote, shut up. <laughs> my wife just got mad at me because that's the word she don't let in my house. But some folks just need to be told shut up. It's the only thing they understand. We need to understand it will cost us our comfort. But then... Church, right now, it's costing people their lives. Watch this with you.
culture behaves destruction of the highest level of persecution of Christians. A church congregation barricading themselves in from hundreds of riot police. They're enduring attacks for their faith along the savage kidnappings of Christian schoolgirls in Nigeria by Boko Haram and the burning of images of violence dominating headlines. Christians are being warned to have a choice. Convert to Islam, pay a very steep price, or face death. Showing new video showing the beheading of 21 Egyptian Christians. Beheadings of 21 Christians. 21 Christian men beheaded by Islamic State. The title of the video is a message signed with blood to the nation of the cross. The sharpest jump in violent attacks against Christians. We need to make the persecuted church an issue of prayer. turn inward. We can't be 
infighting and fat and just living in a sense of maintenance. We have got to see God. We need revival. So where do we go from here? We need a passion for lost souls. We must accept our personal responsibility to share our faith. We must be equipped and confident in the task before us. And we must be intentional. We need to provide events like fall festivals, meals, wild game banquets, motorcycle rides, singing at the school, car shows, I don't care. But these events will give us immediate opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. In many ways, we need to earn a right to tell people about Jesus. I've cold called and knocked on doors, but building relationship with people has always opened the door for me to share my faith much quicker. I'll be more than happy to build a hot rod or go hunting or to even sit down with some little lady that likes to sew if that's what it takes to tell people about Jesus. Will we be criticized for our passion? Yeah. Wake up. Hang it, Jesus. They're going to hang us. Will compelling them to come in make it tough on us at times? Of course. When I seek to win the unlovable of society, somebody inevitably will not be too excited about it. They don't want their kids around our kids. We don't want them around us. We don't want their kind polluting the water. They hated him. They opposed him. They hate us. They'll oppose us. We must represent culture shock. What I'm asking you to do today Join me in bringing about a 21st century culture shock. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in His church. Elaine, will you come and just play? I want us occupied by thinking we need to see words and sing. We need to have a, a heart. And one thing I want us to do is after a time of invitation, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The same ones that those guys, those 21 guys gave their life for died. That Savior that died for them, that gave them the hope to be able to do that, died for your sins too. You come trust us. If you got questions, come ask. We'd love to counsel you. Church, you know you're not where you need to be. You know that you went into maintenance mode. You know, it's like a computer. I hate you walk away from just a minute and goes into sleep mode. You have to try to wake it up. Waking it up is trying to like, wake up my little brother. Takes a long time. I, you know, I won't be able to touch shit. Well, we just went into sleep mode. We're just sleepwalking through our Sundays. And we just live our lives all week. And then if nothing else is there, we'll come to church on Sunday. Right now, you need to come pray to church. We need to pray for revival. And then... Again, I want us to pray for the worldwide church of the living God. Pray for protection. Pray for the families and the martyrs. Pray for the persecuted church. So right now, stand with me and come. We need revival, church. Do you believe that? You said you did. Are you willing to pray for it?
Um, one thing I would like to share before Proverbs 31 woman, a wife is of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and likes nothing other of other. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction. Her children rise up and calls, call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Charm is deceptive, is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And as I read this, um, you know, a few verses that everybody's familiar with, I immediately think of certain few people that I feel like really fall in this category. And my aunt was one of them. And two years ago yesterday was the anniversary of her death. And um, she actually um, took her own life. And I cannot how a woman that is so strong that I admire my whole life um, could be so low at that moment. But as I'm searching and as God is teaching me, um, I realized that if you have a moment of weakness, and everybody does, everybody has moments and things that they deal with, depression, anxiety, and Satan can see that little hole where he could squeeze in, he's going to take it. The only way he can is if you are constantly um, filling your mind with words of truth and, you know, the words from the Bible. The Bible is our guide to how we should live life. Um, surround yourself with people that believe the same things that you do and encourage people and do things for others. Um, a lot of times when I feel like I am low, um, I just say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just constantly say it. Because Satan cannot be in the same room. He cannot take the name of Jesus. And he will not conquer me. And in that small amount of time, my aunt, Satan was able to get in. And he, she, he was able to tell her many lies. But I know she's with my Lord now. But in conclusion, whether you're a mom or not, or a dad, um, this can apply to, you know, mostly anyone. Um, we should all strive for this. But most of all, what I'm trying to say is that you need to stay in the Word. If you do not read the Word, the truth that we have in it, we aren't going to be thinking it. We aren't, we aren't going to be wanting to share it. Instead, Satan will see you're having a weak moment and he'll come in and fill your head with lies that you're nothing and tell you, you know, you can't do that and be negative. And he just wants to destroy. But our God is much stronger than that. And if you're not reading your words persistently and daily, 
Um, and I'm even speaking to myself. You know, I have a busy life and I have to find crazy times to do it. But when you have those words filled, all over you, it just is a peace you can't describe. And when you are faced with a trial, a verse, a word of scripture, encouragement, um, that you have just recently read that's in your heart, that's what you think of. So. Amen. Amen. Steve, I want you to come. And uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to have a moment of silence, a couple of minutes. I want you to be focused on God's Word in your life. Where does God want to take us? What do we need to do to bring about a culture shock? Then I want you to really pray for the persecuted church about where you're at. And Brother Steve's going to finish up and dismiss us. So every head bowed and every high closed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, Lord, that you provided us with. And um, thank you for the, the message that we have heard this morning. Um, there's so much going on in this world around that, around the world, but uh, Father, it's also, uh, it can be right here in our front door. So we just lift our hearts and our, our minds and we just uh, pray that you uh, help us to remember that you are in control. Um, no matter what happens, you are always in control. Father, thank you for this man that you provided with us this morning. I just lift uh, Brother Matt up to you this morning and help him to feel better uh, and help him shake this thing that he's had. But he also, uh, there's a lot of empty pews in here this morning, empty seats. Uh, there's a lot of uh, people that are out. And we just pray that you uh, just reach down and touch them and heal their body. Uh, go with us throughout this week, Lord. And, uh, please continue to bless the church. Thank you for all of your many blessings that you've uh, bestowed upon us as we look forward into a new year. Uh, thank you so much for all of your many blessings and uh, forgive us for what we pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.